Book Four, Chapter Six, Amelia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Amelia by Henry Fielding, Book Four, Chapter Six, in which may appear that violence is sometimes done to the name of love. When that happy day came, in which unhallowed hands are forbidden to contaminate the shoulders of the unfortunate, Booth went early to the colonel's house, and being admitted to his presence, began with great freedom, though without great gentleness, to complain of his having not dealt with him with more openness. "'Why, my dear colonel,' said he, "'would you not acquaint me with that secret which this letter hath disclosed?' James read the letter, at which his countenance changed more than once, and then, after a short silence, said, "'Mr. Booth, I have been to blame, I own it, and you upbraid me with justice. The true reason was that I was ashamed of my own folly. Damn me, Booth, if I have not been a consummate fool, a very dupe to this woman, and she hath a particular pleasure in making me so. I know what the impertinence of virtue is, and I can submit to it, but to be treated thus by a whore—' You must forgive me, dear Booth, but your success was a kind of triumph over me, which I could not bear. I own I have not the least reason to conceive any anger against you, and yet curse me if I should not have been less displeased at your lying with my own wife. Nay, I could almost have parted with half my fortune to you more willingly than have suffered you to receive that trifle of my money which you received at her hands." However, I ask your pardon, and I promise you I will never more think of you with the same ill-will on the account of this woman. But as for her, damn me if I do not enjoy her by some means or other, whatever it costs me, for I am already above two hundred pounds out of pocket, without having scarce had a smile in return. Booth expressed much astonishment at this declaration. He said he could not conceive how it was possible to have such an affection for a woman who did not show the least inclination to return it. James gave her a hearty curse, and said, "'Pox of her inclination! I want only the possession of her person, and that, you will allow, is a very fine one. But, besides my passion for her, she hath now piqued my pride. For how can a man of my fortune brook being refused by a whore?' "'Since you are so set on the business,' cries Booth, "'you will excuse my saying so. "'I fancy you had better change your method of applying to her. "'For as she is perhaps the vainest woman upon earth, "'your bounty may probably do you little service, "'nay, may rather actually oblige her. "'Vanity is plainly her predominant passion, "'and if you will administer to that, "'it will infallibly throw her into your arms. "'To this I attribute my own fortunate success.' While she believed my wants and distresses, she was daily feeding her own vanity, whereas, as every gift of yours asserted your superiority, it rather offended than pleased her. Indeed, women generally love to be of the obliging side, and if we examine their favourites, we shall find them to be much oftener such as they have conferred obligations on than such as they have received them from. There was something in this speech which pleased the colonel, and he said with a smile, I don't know how it is, Will, but you know women better than I. Perhaps, Colonel, said Booth, I have studied their minds more. I don't, however, much envy your knowledge, replied the other, for I never think their minds worth considering, 
However, I hope I shall profit a little by your experience with Miss Matthews. Damnation seize the proud, insolent harlot. The devil take me if I don't love her more than I ever loved a woman. The rest of their conversation turned on Booth's affairs. The colonel again resumed the part of a friend, gave him the remainder of the money, and promised to take the first opportunity of laying his memorial before a great man. Booth was greatly overjoyed at this success. Nothing now lay on his mind but to conceal his frailty from Amelia, to whom he was afraid Miss Matthews, in the rage of her resentment, would communicate. This apprehension made him stay almost constantly at home, and he trembled at every knock to the door. His fear, moreover, betrayed him into a meanness which he would have heartily despised on any other occasion. This was to order the maid to deliver him any letter directed to Amelia, at the same time strictly charging her not to acquaint her mistress with her having received any such orders. A servant of any acuteness would have formed strange conjectures from such an injunction, but this poor girl was of perfect simplicity. So great indeed was her simplicity, that had not Amelia been void of all suspicion of her husband, the maid would have soon after betrayed her master. One afternoon, while they were drinking tea, little Betty, so the maid was called, came into the room, and calling her master forth, delivered him a card which was directed to Amelia. Booth, having read the card, on his return into the room, chid the girl for calling him, saying, "'If you can read, child, you must see it was directed to your mistress.' To this the girl answered, pertly enough, "'I am sure, sir, you ordered me to bring every letter first to you.' This hint, with many women, would have been sufficient to have blown up the whole affair. But Amelia, who heard what the girl said, through the medium of love and confidence, saw the matter in a much better light than it deserved, and looking tenderly on her husband said, "'Indeed, my love, I must blame you for a conduct which perhaps I ought rather to praise.' as it proceeds only from the extreme tenderness of your affection. But why will you endeavour to keep any secrets from me? Believe me, for my own sake you ought not. For as you cannot hide the consequences, you make me always suspect ten times worse than the reality. While I have you and my children well before my eyes, I am capable of facing any news which can arrive. For what ill news can come, unless indeed it concerns my little babe in the country? which doth not relate to the badness of our circumstances, and those, I thank heaven, we have now a fair prospect of retrieving. Besides, dear Billy, though my understanding can be much inferior to yours, I have sometimes had the happiness of luckily hitting on some argument which hath afforded you comfort. This, you know, my dear, was the case with regard to Colonel James, whom I persuaded you to think you had mistaken, and you see the event provided me in the right." So happily for herself and Mr. Booth did the excellence of this good woman's disposition deceive her. The card, being now inspected, was found to contain the compliments of Mrs. James to Mrs. Booth, with an account of her being arrived in town, and having brought with her a very great cold. Amelia was overjoyed at the news of her arrival, and having dressed herself in the utmost hurry, left her children to the care of her husband, and ran away to pay her respects to her friend, whom she loved with the most sincere affection. But how was she disappointed, when eager with the most utmost patience, and exulting with the thoughts of presently seeing her beloved friend, she was answered at the door that the lady was not at home, nor could she, upon telling her name, obtain any admission. 
This, considering the account she had received at the lady's cold, greatly surprised her, and she returned home very much vexed at her disappointment. Amelia, who had no suspicion that Mrs. James was really at home, and as the phrase is, was denied, would have made a second visit the next morning, had she not been prevented by a cold which she herself now got, and which was attended with a slight fever. This confined her several days to her house, during which Booth officiated as her nurse, and never stirred from her. In all this time she heard not a word from Mrs. James, which gave her some uneasiness, but more astonishment. The tenth day, when she was perfectly recovered, about nine in the evening, when she and her husband were just going to supper, she heard a most violent thundering at the door, and presently, after a rustling of silk upon her staircase, at the same time a female voice carried out pretty loudly, "'Bless me! What, am I to climb up another pair of stairs?' Upon which Amelia, who well knew the voice, presently ran to the door, and ushered in Mrs. James, most splendidly dressed, who put on as formal a countenance, and made a formal curtsy to her old friend, as if she had been her very distant acquaintance. Poor Amelia, who was going to rush into her friend's arms, was struck motionless by this behaviour, but recollecting her spirits, as she had an excellent presence of mind, she presently understood what the lady meant, and resolved to treat her in her own way. Down, therefore, the company sat, and silence prevailed for some time, during which Mrs. James surveyed the room with more attention than she would have bestowed on one much finer. At length the conversation began, in which the weather and the diversions of the town were well canvassed. Amelia, who was a woman of great humour, performed her part to admiration, so that a bystander would have doubted, in every other article than dress, which of the two was the most accomplished fine lady. After a visit of twenty minutes, during which not a word of any former occurrences was mentioned, nor indeed any subject of discourse started, except only those two above mentioned, Mrs. James rose from her chair and retired in the same formal manner in which she had approached. We will pursue her for the sake of the contrast during the rest of the evening. She went from Amelia directly to a rout, where she spent two hours in a crowd of company, talked again and again over the diversions and news of the town, played two rubbers at whist, and then retired to her own apartment, where, having passed another hour in undressing herself, she went to her own bed. Booth and his wife, the moment their companion was gone, sat down to supper on a piece of cold meat, the remains of their dinner, after which, over a pint of wine, they entertained themselves for a while with the ridiculous behaviour of their visitant. But Amelia, declaring she rather saw her as the object of pity than anger, turned the discourse to pleasanter topics. The little action of their children, the former scenes and future prospects of their life, furnished them with many pleasant ideas, and the contemplation of Amelia's recovery threw Booth into raptures. At length they retired, happy in each other. It is possible some readers may be no less surprised at the behaviour of Mrs. James than was Amelia herself, since they may have perhaps received so favourable an impression of that lady from the account given of her by Mr. Booth, that her present demeanour may seem unnatural and inconsistent with her former character. But they will be pleased to consider the great alteration in her circumstances. From the state of dependency on her brother, 
who was himself no better than a soldier of fortune, to that of being wife to a man of very large estate and considerable rank in life, and what was her present behaviour more than that of a fine lady who considered form and show as essential ingredients of human happiness, and imagined all friendship to consist in ceremony, courtesies, messages, and visits, in which opinion she hath the honour to think, with much the larger part of one sex, and no small number with the other. End Book 4, Chapter 6